in the episode 47 of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast, I interview Anton Bernstein. He is the founder and CEO of Pocket Worlds. Pocket Worlds is a metaverse company that focuses on the power of play and creativity to connect people. They build deep, rich worlds that are social by design and last for decades. Their first metaverse, High Rise, is a creative virtual world where people make avatars, express themselves, and make friends. Do you know that there are nearly 10 million users who play on High Rise? And in this conversation, Anton and I talk about the rise of social gaming, metaverse, Web3, how to acquire users for your first game, future of the crypto markets, since we are in the beer market, who else is building good products in Web3 gaming, and what can we learn from them, and much, much more. So, if you are into Web3 or gaming or want to learn more about the future of Web3 gaming, then this is the podcast episode for you. Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities. And my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building? What are they paying attention? So you can take advantage of it. So you can benefit from it. However, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice. I would still highly encourage you to do your own research. I have nothing to sell you. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. So Anton, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Would love to know more about Pocket Worlds. But first, how did you get started? How did you get into gaming? Yeah, sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I started the company Pocket Worlds in 2013, but I've been gaming my whole life. Definitely grew up on games as my kind of, I guess it's what taught, maybe it's what taught me the most playing games like Starcraft and Diablo 2 and Counter-Strike and Quake and all that stuff. And a lot of it for me was actually really social. I was always on the phone while I was playing with my friends. And this was like back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And in 2013, um, I had started a company before this called LuxuryScapes.com. It's one of the biggest e-commerce companies in Australia. And when I kind of finished up with that, I decided I wanted to go back into both gaming and social networking. Again, because gaming for me was always such a social experience. Back in 2013, when we started Pocket Worlds, my co-founder Jimmy and I, we we were kind of thinking about what is going to be the next evolution of, of social experiences online. It felt like news feeds and messengers were kind of insufficient. Gaming was certainly a, a place where we spent most of the meaningful amount of kind of social time online. And so we thought, where does that go? How do we evolve that? How do we build it? And if you remember in the late 2000s, virtual worlds were a really big thing. Um, yes. Things like Second Life, um, IMVU, Habbo Hotel. There were, there were a bunch, a lot of them actually being led by Flash Gaming. So it was like yes. games that you could play in the browser. And then in 2013, when we got started, mobile had just taken off. It was 2009, 2010. There wasn't much multiplayer gaming on mobile at the time. And so we decided, hey, let's see what, what can sit at the intersection of social networking and gaming, particularly on mobile devices that are increasingly ubiquitous. And so we built a couple of products, one called Pockets, one called Harvest Crossing, both of them MMOs on mobile, both of them so like very much middle-aged success. 
And then in 2016 was when we launched HiRise, which is our current flagship product. We have two HiRise and Neverskies. And there we started to really think about kind of the UGC landscape, uh, people building the, the games and the experiences and the social yes. experiences, you know, how, how we can give them the tools to build that because that's what we saw really working. And this was before Roblox really started to take off in a, in a very meaningful way. And so that's what we started building, building a kind of casual, very much social oriented platform where people end up creating the experiences, they end up creating a lot of the content and really a place for them to hang out, to play games, yeah. to socialize. And that's kind of, yeah, I guess that's kind of how, how I got started personally. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. You reminded me, like I got like flashback from the past, like games based on flash. I used to do flash programming back in 2003. <laughs> we used to oh, code nice. it. <laughs> so you, you click this button and this happens or this animation happens and stuff. And oh, it was horrible stuff. <laughs> I mean, compared to present times, but yeah, back then it was like the cutting edge in 2003 and um, totally. until uh, like 2008, nine, once iPhone came in, it like smartphones killed it off, pretty much killed off Flash. <laughs> um, and, the Chrome, and then Chrome ultimately killed off Flash when they said they weren't going to support it anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, and once again, mobile gaming has been such a massive thing. So I've worked in like CEO of an esports company. I've been involved in like tech startups, mostly Web2 and, and some Web3 in the recent times for the last 15 years. And, and I have seen sort of like the engagement that you get in gaming is so much, so much higher than any SaaS product out there in the, in the market, you know, or, or any even social media product. Cause sometimes people play games for eight, nine hours a day. And sometimes they play for years and years. It becomes their sort of second life. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with, with that. How did you get traction when your company was new? I mean, about 40 to 60% of the listeners of this podcast are tech startup founders or, or web three or game founders. How did you get traction when you first launched your product? Sure. Maybe it'll help to give a little bit of context on the traction that we have now. And then I Oh, yes, please. Yes, right. please. Yeah. So the traction we have now on HiRise, we have about 2 million monthly active users, almost 250,000 daily active users now. And on Eververskies, which is another product that we have that is more like a forum, but oriented towards clothing and dress up, we have almost a, a million monthly active users and we just broke 150,000 DAU. So we're almost at 170,000 daily active users on on Everest guys. Of course, when we first started, we started with a handful, right? With a couple hundred engaged users. And I would say the, the way that we first started, first of all, it was a lot of trial and error. So the way that we end up building is I think, especially building in consumer, a lot of it is kind of, you're building something that is kind of hypothesis driven. You're not really sure what problems consumers have. I mean, broadly speaking, gaming, right? It's entertainment. It's boredom. It's maybe loneliness. It, it, there's kind of like a lot of, I would say, kind of philosophical problems that people are facing. Yeah. But there's such a broad suite of ways that you could solve those problems. You know, you could watch TV, you could play a very particular type of game, whatever. Yeah. And so our approach has always been very much trial and error, which is, you know, build an MVP, build something that's kind of quick enough to develop, but rich enough for the person to get the core experience and then see if they retain, see if they stick around. And the way that we would attract the very first user is a bit of paid acquisition. So because we would create a product, then we would acquire some users on the paid side, not many, right? You know, a few yeah. hundred and kind of assess their engagement, assess if it's interesting. Yeah. And like I said, the first two products that we launched, Pockets and Harvest Crossing, were actually not particularly successful. And so those were kind of trial and errors where we learned a lot and then rolled that into the third product, Highrise, where we really decided to focus on UGC and social. And that's yeah. when it started to kind of hit and be sticky. And then we spent the first two, three years, by the way, we were bootstrapped for the first five years. So well, well done. we had to raise 
Yeah. Yeah. And actually we raised $10 million since then, but we haven't spent any of it because we have this bootstrapped culture where we really don't love to burn money. And so yeah, uh, we've actually been profitable throughout most of our life. And so, it, you know, with high rise for the first two, three years, we actually spent a lot of time every week we would release new features onto yeah. iOS. We were only on iOS for the first two or three years. So we didn't even have the, yeah. kind of the Android platform live. And that was our test bed. That's where we were releasing feature after feature. We were killing features and we were being very analytical about, you know, who's using what and why are they using it? And then once we started to see some really meaningful stickiness, that's when we turned on Android. And then once we turned on Android, we really turned on marketing significantly. And then we really ramped up very quickly over the last three years, growing about 3x year over year for the last three years. Yep. Yep. No, that, that sounds, that sounds, and that makes so much sense. You know, that sounds great. And because it's like, I've co-owned an agency once where for a few years, where we used to build MVPs and I used to see this mistake over and over again, people not getting their product out, not get, letting other people test it because I feel like at the back of their mind, they're afraid that if people don't use their product will fail. So they don't want anyone to test it, but it is so good that you guys were open and courageous enough to let your MVP out, let as I mean, let few people use it and, and so you know, what features they want, what, what's engaging them, what's not engaging them and be open to failure at, at that level, sort of, especially it's very hard when you're bootstrapping and stuff, you know, you have only so little funds and you want every feature to be successful, everything to do well. So yeah, well done, well done for that. You know, it's funny because you're talking about user acquisition and paid ads. I surf TikTok as a billion other people and I see now high rise ads on it <laughs> all the time. It's partly because I've been to your website and I've been doing research on, on your company and product and stuff. So your ads are working. <laughs> they, they are getting to the. Yeah. I mean, definitely a, a big part of mobile. And, and I think this is actually why a lot of people are drawn to web three from the gaming space right now. A big part of mobile is really a user acquisition game. I mean, obviously yes. you want to build the best product possible product for your customers and you want them to love your game and you want them to love your product. But at the end of the day, there's so much competition and so much noise in the gaming market and the social market that you need to figure out a sustainable way to acquire users. And really the only two ways are either kind of organic viral growth or paid acquisition. Um, and, and I would posit that paid acquisition is actually a pretty sustainable method of growth. I mean, it's the same way that a SaaS company grows, right? They, they do paid acquisition, they do sales. Yeah. That being said, I mean, we, we have a lot of organic growth because we're a very social product. So people kind of share it through word of mouth. But paid acquisition has always been a very important channel for us. So we have a pretty big marketing team and that marketing team really explores lots of different opportunities and channels to find the right people, you know, the right audience yeah. for the, the high-rise product, which is fairly particular, I would say, the current high-rise product. You know, our audience is mostly female. It's like 75% female. Our average age is around 20. So it's... Uh, That's young because a lot of female mobile gamers are in their mid-30s. Yeah, it's interesting. We kind of have this niche of people who are around 18 to 30. Okay, yeah. it was, it's almost like in a way, a lot of people might grow out of Roblox into yes. high rise, or they might be looking for a really social platform that isn't necessarily so real life oriented like Instagram. And so high rise is kind of a viable and interesting alternative. And especially if they're into fashion or dress up or clothing, we provide a lot of self-expression and creativity for people to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, you would have so much opportunity. I haven't played the played the game. It's not the type of games generally I play, and probably that's why I don't <laughs> fit the fit the fit the demographic. But you, I mean, just from looking from the outside, you guys would have so many opportunities to have tie ups with fashion brands and stuff like Shine and Arshian and so many others. Um, in the Absolutely. Phoenix. 
And we haven't really pursued it yet. I would say we're just getting to the scale where, you know, we're almost at a half million daily active users between us and, and Everskies and Highrise, the, the yes. product. And so we're kind of getting to the, the stage now where, you know, if anybody's listening and has a brand, and please reach out to me. We'd love to talk to you about a, a partnership, getting your content into Highrise. But that's definitely something that we're starting to explore. And, and then the next thing that actually we're starting to explore in the next evolution of our product, as we focus yes. on Web3 and as we focus on Highrise, is what we call the Highrise world. And in the yeah. Highrise world, we're basically building the tooling and the platform for anyone to be able to build their own high rise. So like you said, you know, maybe high rise isn't appealing to you right now. Yeah. The high rise that isn't appealing to you right now, we call that high rise 101, which is our core community. Yeah. But what we'd like to do is, you know, if you have a community that you do want to be a part of, or maybe interests that you're a part of, or brands or IP that you're interested in, where you do want to maybe interact with them in a social space like Discord, we'd like to give you a high rise or give them a high rise. So that you can interact in a space with that community yep. or with that brand or with that IP in a way that's a bit richer than Discord. And so in some ways, yes. we're looking to become the next evolution of Discord, where you have a lot more interactivity yes. through kind of, you know, avatars in space and through this kind of social framework. And so in the future, what we hope is that most brands or communities, you know, they'd have a Reddit, they'd have a Discord, and they'd have a high rise. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you some bit more difficult questions because I work in Web3. I work for a company called called Moonstream and we build we build tooling for sort of Web3 games or Web3 projects or say if they want to do airdrops, loot boxes, all, all on-chain, on-chain leaderboards, on-chain loyalty systems or or crafting recipes for their for their game or even choose a mini game from our mini game library. And they just do the sort of front end and connect with API. So that's what we we do and we specialize in growing the our product specializes in growing the economy of the games and stuff. So because of that, I end up talking with lots and lots of Web3 games and Metaverse projects, about four or five a day that I, I talk with. And and I have tried. I have tried some Metaverse sort of projects, not using the headset, using my mouse and keyboard. You can move around the space. You have avatars. You connect with people in that space. So instead of using Zoom, you would use this space and and you can go into that room or something and, and then talk with them whenever you want. So it's also built for remote working, built for or for interaction community, all that type of things. I've used like probably quite a few of these sort of metaverse type alternatives that are trying to be alternatives to Zoom or Discord or Slack or, or all sorts of things. And what I found was that it was slowing my productivity down instead of helping me or my team improve in any way I have used it. How do you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I fundamentally don't see us as a productivity product. Yeah. I see us as an entertainment product. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to entertainment, I think that, and by the way, I think, I don't know, maybe 80, 90% of Discord is an entertainment product. I think yeah. there's actually quite, quite a few, quite few people who use it for productivity and, and work. They might use it to kind of broadcast information through announcements and things like that, but I would say it's, it's pretty poor at that. <laughs> yeah, um, but let, let let, give me, let me give you an example. It's like since 2016 or 17, mm -hmm. we have used Discord in, in every company I have worked as the main communication tool instead of Slack. Yeah. I think it's capable to be used for that. Yeah. But I would, I would posit that most of Discord, 80 to 90% oh, of Discord yes. is 100%. Yeah, it's yeah. for gamers. It was built for gamers. That's why the logo yeah. and stuff, you can see it's a controller. Um, yeah. And even, you know, the communities I'm in, I'm in a bunch of NFT communities. Oh, yes. uh, most of it is... I mean, let's just memes and stuff. And yeah. 
Yeah. And so, you know, I see ours as an, as an entertainment co company by and large. Now there is, I think a business use case for entertainment. I don't know if you've seen the product gather town, but it's basically people come together in a virtual space, let's say after an AMA or after an all hands, yeah. and it's a place more about, it's more like a meet and greet or it's more yeah. of a mixer where people can connect yeah. with each other, talk to each other. So I think there is a business use case for that, but it's yeah. still entertainment oriented use case. Yeah. And for sure, we see ourselves as an, as kind of like a self-expression, creativity, entertainment oriented company, not as a kind of a productivity company. So does that answer the, the question? That 100% answers the question that it makes okay, sense well, now. Yeah, it makes sense because yeah. like, this is the first thing used to come to my mind. It's like, if it's slowing me down, why would I want to use this product? If it's not adding, it's decreasing my productivity. So because I was looking at through the lens of productivity and, and, and work instead of. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I use kind of like Reddit and Discord as a bit of an analogy is because they're fundamentally very much entertainment for the most part. Yeah, and, for and, the most part. People do use it for trading yeah. and for maths and for science and all those. There are There is a subreddit for everything pretty much you can think of. And a lot of yeah. those are anything from work-related problems to anything. For those things, maybe it won't be used. But for the entertainment, the memes, the other stuff, fun stuff, gaming stuff, it will be used. Exactly. And that's ultimately what we want to deliver. And we want it to be done in a way where the users end up creating most of the content. So yeah. kind of a bit, a bit similar to Roblox, but the big difference between say us and Roblox or Sandbox yes. or Decentraland, any of those kind of yeah. virtual world platforms is the way that we think about it kind of at the very top level is quite different. Meaning when it comes to Roblox or Sandbox or Decentraland, you enter the universe by entering Sandbox or Decentraland or Roblox. Like that is the kind of the the world that you're entering, you're entering that world. And then inside of that world, you might discover some experiences. Maybe Gap puts up a store or maybe, you know, I don't know, whatever brand makes a little piece of land that you can interact with. Um, in my view, I think that that creates a pretty niche product that is very similar to Second Life. If you remember in the mid 2000s, everyone was opening stores in Second Life. Like yeah. Gap had opened a store, Ferrari had opened a store, everybody opened a store in Second Life. But Second Life ended up becoming a pretty niche product. It was focused on a particular audience, that audience is still there, by the way. Second Life is still like a niche. pretty solid business, but it's a niche. The way, the approach that we're taking is a little bit different in that we are partitioning each community in the way that Discord partitions each community. So when you join a Discord, you don't join a Discord, right? And so the way that we're evolving the high-rise engine and the high-rise platform is when you join high-rise, you don't join the general high-rise, you join a particular high-rise. So if there's kind of an interest or maybe an NFT community that you want to be a part of, where you actually want to socialize a little bit, or you want to play games, maybe that they create, like Doodles can create an experience or a game that's in the Doodles high rise, then that's kind of what we want to be able to offer. And so it's a bit of a different partitioning than say a sandbox or Decentraland, not, not to mention sandbox and Decentraland have no users. So e even if you did set up your gap store and sandbox, like nobody would see it. Yes. Um, yep. But yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, I get it. I get it. It is more geared towards engagement and interaction. Um, for and high rise and the community, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how does the the Web three component of of high rise or Everskies or any of your products, how does that work? So, do you guys have like you know how the traditional Web three games or blockchain based games have like NFTs that they release and you need the NFT to interact with the game and create yeah, or we're yeah we're very different. Yeah, we're not like that at all. Believe fundamentally, we believe in in uh, an open system. Yes. where you don't need to require any NFTs or any tokens in order to participate. You know, we want to build a metaverse platform that has, you know, 300 million, eventually 3 billion people 
using it. I don't think you can do that by getting it with NFTs and creating a Ponzi. That's it's 10K. It's limited to 10K and then people leave as yeah. soon as the token price drops or, or the NFT value drops. They move to the next exactly. game. Yeah. 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 So we don't do that. I'm actually a seed investor in SkyMavis, the company that made Saxe Infinity. So I've been yeah. kind of intimately close with the kind of the rise and fall of, of Play to Earth. Although I'm still very bullish on SkyMavis as a company. I think yes. actually just was successful very quickly, very early, kind of without any expectation of that actually happening. But for, for me, fundamentally, so I've been in blockchain since 2013. That's when I first bought Bitcoin. In 2018, we actually launched an NFT project right when like OpenSea was opening up. I was actually meeting with those guys at the Airbnb lobby because they didn't have an office yet. They're like talking about, it was, it was very early days. And so I, I've had this kind of fundamental belief that if you're going to be building a virtual economy, which Highrise is, we have about $100 million a year in secondary market transaction volume without integrating any block, but any kind of virtual economy, the right technology for that job, in my opinion, is blockchain because it leans into this idea of composability and kind of permissionless composability, especially. And so if you have, you know, your virtual goods on chain, or you have your currency on chain, all of a sudden, anyone permissionlessly can create applications that leverage your virtual goods or leverage your currency. And so you can plug in an exchange, you can plug in, you know, yeah. rental protocols, you can plug in, you know, borrow land, you can do all sorts of stuff, mostly in the DeFi space. But I think that that, you know, if you're going to have a virtual economy and everything is completely virtual in our economy, then I think that the right technology for that job is this kind of composable permissionless database, which yeah. is one day. And so that's why we've been pushing into it. Last November, we launched a collection on Immutable X. Yeah. It was very successful. We sold about two or $3 million worth in the primary market. And then we had about $10 million in secondary market transaction volume. It's still a top five project on Immutable. And this was really just a first test for us. Of how does our audience feel about it? You know, how do they react to it? How do we yeah. integrate it, especially having a mobile app? How do we integrate it such that you can connect on the web and then connect to the mobile app? And so that's actually done really well and has definitely lead us kind of into implementing kind of NFTs in particular a lot more. Then as we continue to evolve and evolve our thinking and learn more and more, we decided to partner with Avalanche to launch our own subnet, we're calling it the high-rise blockchain. And the reason why we're launching our own subnet is because our main priority today is the user experience. So how do we make it such that our, you know, 3 million monthly active users between iRise and, and Everscans, how do we make it such that they can interact with on-chain assets without needing to think too deeply about it, without needing to figure out MetaMask, without needing to figure out Coinbase, without needing to figure out which token they need for gas, like all that stuff that I think is, is pretty kind of tricky for folks in the beginning and feels risky and you need to custody your own keys and all that kind of stuff. How do we solve that on the UX side? And so we decided to launch a subnet because a subnet allows us to use our token as gas. It allows us to have a lot more control over kind of how our chain operates. We're going to be launching wallets with every user account so that every account actually already has a wallet by default. We're working with some partners on Fiat on RAM to make that really easy. And then when people can transact on the platform, where they, whether they transact on the marketplace or an exchange, whatever, they'll use our token, the RISE token as the gas token, as obfuscated kind of as possible to make it really easy to do. And then that allows people to build that kind of permissionless composable application layer on top of kind of the high rise ecosystem. And so this RISE token that we'll be launching, and by the way, the RISE token, we are not doing any private sales or any public sales of it. We, we made a decision that we don't want any financial or speculative investors putting pressure on our token. And so instead we're only distributing it through rewards and airdrops over the next yeah. six months to our existing users so that they can use it 
paired with really strong utility. And that utility is the ability to purchase certain items, mm -hmm. possibly the ability to stake, although that kind of like leans into the financialization of the asset that I'm listening yes. to about right now. But it's uh, like governance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's like once you allow your token to be traded on a DeFi, th this is the problem with Web3. People are going to speculate on it. People are going yeah. to immediately feel just being working in gamification and, you know, and, and speaking at TED events on, on gamification and things like that. It's like, I know that how, as soon as you involve money, suddenly it no longer is a game. It is work. It turns to work. How do you stop from that happening? Well, I think one thing with the private and public sale, right, it's very different to have 20% or 40% of your tokens with some speculative investors with LPs yes. who are looking for a return who in two years are ready to dump your token, right? I think that's very different from distributing it to 3 million players who then by and large want to use the token yep. because they don't necessarily see it as a financial asset and they see it as something that you can use and that has meaningful utility. I think fundamentally that's quite different, a lot more decentralized. Um, yeah. I think that approach makes a lot more sense. Of course, I mean, there's very little we can do if somebody just wants to kind of hold an asset, but I, I will say for high rise, at least our virtual goods, they also appreciate in value, blockchain or not. Yes. We have a bunch of clothing, virtual goods, some of which cost thousands of dollars in the secondary market. And it's because people value them. So um, do you have your own marketplace to sell these? We do. Oh, yeah. We have cool. our own market. Yeah, yeah. We have it on app. So yeah. we have it on app. We take it in and out of the app. It's called the black market right now, but we're going to be making yes. this permanent in the next yeah. month or two. Yeah, very cool. I mean, people forget, like people have short memories, but Counter-Strike and all these had you know, marketplaces and goods and you can still have butterfly. Yeah, they still do. And they could buy like yeah. a butterfly knife for $5,000 or something. So it's always been like that. It's like the NFTs and stuff is nothing new. It just now means that you can sell on a different secondary market somewhere else, like open available or something. Yes, it's permission, right? It's exactly right. You need to give you permission. Yes. To sell this counter strike knife. You can just yes. Uh, yeah. And I think that that is huge. I mean, I, I yeah. just as a technology, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, 100%. In your view, what are the key challenges of building a product in Web3? I mean, a lot of it right now is just figuring everything out. I, the biggest thing right now is UX. I, I think UX is challenging. Figuring out how, how do you really make it kind of like smooth and seamless and easy for the user? Yeah. I, I would say that's the part that's been figured out to maybe the least. There are some that have done it in kind of like a sideways ways, like like VV, which is yes. X. But it, I mean, it's basically like one closed system. That yeah, basically feels like a database. They just happen to use Immutable X. So those are kind of like, I feel like the beginnings of solving some of these UX questions. But I think the, ultimately, you know, the ideal UX is, um, you make an account in that account you have, you can load in currency or do whatever you want. You can start buying, selling, trading, and then you can very easily just access some other DAP or application with that account and start interacting with it, with whatever protocols are available. So I would say that that's kind of been the, at least for us, we'll, we'll, this is the, the place where I think we as a company can add value. We're not a blockchain company at the end of the day. We're a, you know, a social and gaming company. And so that's ultimately what we want to, what we want to do, but we do need to figure out these UX challenges in order to solve, solve this problem for us. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And where do you see the market going in or maturing in the next two to three years in, in your view? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's right now we're kind of entering this bear market. So in this bear market, there, there's just going to be a lot of people called out. You know, a lot of the, there's just been a lot of like non-building going on and a lot of marketing. Um, I think a lot of that marketing stuff is going to kind of disappear on the, on the gaming side. Yes. I doubt, I, I think that the, the, the play to earn meta, it's going to keep coming back. You know, I, I think the, there's going to, you know, step in and 
you know, there's Kabbalah before that, there's DeFi kingdoms and there's, you know, Axie. And I think these things will, will kind of keep coming back, but ultimately, you know, those products, they, they ultimately work on this idea that we keep acquiring new users. Those new users basically spread the, spread their spend to existing users. And then eventually there aren't enough new users to spread that spend. And so the thing unwinds very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I think that's going to kind of keep happening. I think the, more importantly, I think there's going to be some core games and core products that, that are released that have a real long-term use for kind of on-chain data. And, you know, our, our theory one is just virtual goods, right? Like you have these virtual goods, the ability yes. to really quickly own them and exchange them on any exchange, trade them, you know, even collateralize them if you need to, to take out a load, you know, whatever you, you, you can do yeah. with real physical goods that you can do with virtual goods, but you can do more data. I think a lot of that is, is, is going to kind of start to happen. On which chain or chains, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure how like effective bridging is going to be. I'm not really sure how effective the cross-chain world is going to be. I can tell you now, high-rise, the high-rise world for us, we want to be completely chain agnostic over the long term. We are building our own chain right now as the avalanche subnet for the UX considerations. But at the end of the day, if there's a really exciting community on Polygon or a really cool community on Solana or on Ethereum mainnet or wherever, there's no reason why they shouldn't have a high-rise, you know? That they yeah. absolutely have a high rise. They should absolutely be able to connect their wallet and they should absolutely be able to materialize their assets and their NFTs inside yeah. of their high rise. And we want to be able to deliver that. So yeah, I, I guess loosely, I, I think there's, there's going to continue to be this like play to earn meta that's just going to keep coming because it's, it's just like very Ponzi. And then I think there's going to be some core games that really like leverage the blockchain for something quite useful, which is mostly, again, in my view, it's the permissionless composability. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I, I agree with that. Are there any games that you really look up to who have done things really well in Web3? Oh, boy. Because I can find a ton of examples in Web2 who have done really, really well. Their strategy has just been perfect and yeah. become multi-billion dollar empires. Who is doing things right now that will become big in the next few years? I will say, uh, just as a product, Yes, I've always really liked Gods Unchained. Yeah. I, I think it, Immutable X as well. Yeah. I think it makes sense as a, as a, you know, product that leverages blockchain, the product that they built is actually really good. Like the game itself is quite good. I'm not, I was a big like magic gathering and Hearthstone player. So yeah, I think it, it, it's just interesting. I think one of my friends, he started this game called mini Royale, which is on Solana. They have a lot of users and it's kind of this FPS that runs in the browser Okay, um, uh, where the cosmetics are kind of on, on Solana. I think that's fairly interesting. I'm kind of excited to see what happens with Alluvium. You know, it's obviously got a big name. It's, got a it's kind of considered the AAA title of the Web3. Yeah, project. exactly. Yes. So I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. I know that that team is pretty strong. So I want to see what, what kind of happens there. And then I think there's a lot of, a lot of the gaming companies, especially the ones out of mobile, like, you know, what, what ended up happening is the gaming companies that started in mobile are the hustlers, right? Like they're the people yes. who are hustling and figuring it out and trying to build stuff that consumers want. Like, and now a lot of those mobile gaming hustlers have moved into Web3 because the UA window has kept closed. It's a little harder to acquire people on yes. mobile devices with all the privacy changes happening on Apple. It's just getting very saturated. And so a lot of them have started to look at Web3. And so if you look at some of these mobile gaming companies like Jam City or I don't know, there's quite a few, all of them are building Web3 products, right? Yes. They're all building Web3 products. Scopely, Tilting Point, like whatever. They're all building Web3. And it's because they see that, hey, you know, opportunistically we need to like look here. And so I'm very interested to see which of the kind of mobile web two companies are actually going to launch something quite successful in web three. It is a yes. really large transition. So, but, but they're all kind of 
exploring and testing there because they're really good at seeing opportunity and moving to where the opportunity is. Yeah. Oh, there has been, there has been so much interest, but I feel like there hasn't been a game, the level of, you know, back in the days there was the, the epic, like the, with the doom and stuff or the, or, or there was Wolfenstein 3D or there was the, yeah. you know, all the, the names that got us started into the into the gaming world or there was the half-life for steam or things like that i haven't seen a title that i can see that this industry will build on and mature and go in that direction that will become the sort of like or, or like what halo was for xbox that built that whole xbox franchise you can say in a way but i, I don't see any game leading web3 in in that way yet well, yeah but i mean i i do still stand by the fact that I think Web3 is really just a technology. It's like saying yeah. like, you know, which game led AWS? And it's like, I mean, no game really led AWS, right? Like if, if people built games and they integrated AWS as their multiplayer hosting kind of technology and, yeah. and AWS was just always in the background. And I think when it comes to kind of Web3, it's like, yeah, you have these virtual goods and you have wallets and you have assets, but like at the end of the day, it, from the consumer's perspective, they're just playing a game. Like they could be playing Valorant. But the skins that they're getting are on chain. Yeah, plug it to all these like permissionless exchanges, and you know they're, they they can turn it into a business and whatever. Yes, but like fundamentally, it's I, I don't know that Web three is gonna outside of like the kind of maybe Ponzi mechanic type stuff. I don't know that it's yeah. gonna be equivalent to say a new console or you know a new computing device or a new game. Yes, I think it's, a lot of it is kind of like the underlying architecture of what connects all of the different components of gaming, and that includes marketplaces and exchanges and even games between each other. It feels like a, very much like an underlying data layer. So, yeah. so, and in traditional gaming right now, there's still a lot of reluctance around Web3. I mean, it's kind of different. I think bear markets are actually really good for removing that reluctance because people are looking at this and being like, you know, this is ridiculous. It's just a these guys a billion dollars or whatever. It's yeah. absurd. Now it's like, well, now that nobody's really making money on it, you can like assess the technology and decide, yeah. hey, maybe this tech actually is pretty cool and maybe there are things to do with it. Oh, you said it. It's like how many games are released on Steam everywhere? I think something like 7,000 and not even including all the mobile games released. That's in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. And how much does an average indie game developer make? It's something around 20,000 a year because, you know, the top guys make everything. And then the, like the top, probably 50 games make everything in the world. And Sorry. And and then it's not even like 80-20, it's more like 0.001% versus all the rest when it comes to sort of gaming. And, and so there has been a lot of toxicity from the, or, or, or reluctance, because a lot of the game and the token prices were going to the to, to the moon pretty much by November yeah. of 2021. So everyone saw this as, as just a quick money grab. And now, as you say, with beer market, everyone can now really assess the technology, really see what needs to be built and all that. So this is an amazing time to be a builder. That, that's yeah. how I... Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. In the next few years, what's your vision coming towards the, the close? So what's your vision for Pocketville? Yeah, so our vision is, you know, what we're calling the high-rise world. So in the next few years, I'd like there to be multiple different communities that have their own high-rises uh, yes. where they're releasing content, like they're releasing virtual goods like clothing and furniture that fit within that community. So I mean, say Disney, for example, Disney, yes. the Disney high rise releasing Disney content. The owners of the high rise, as well as their fandoms are releasing experiences into those high rise, high rises. And those experiences give yes. games, you know, they, they could be all sorts of different games using our game tools. They could be really social games. It could be pageants, dress up games, whatever, but they're releasing kind of what we call experiences, broadly speaking into those high rises and the payment rails 
for a lot of that. And the earning rails are our token. So, you know, when you end up kind of joining the Disney hype, you can use the rise token in order to, you know, pay for certain Disney content, whatever. Obviously Disney is just uh, a, a totally fake example. We have no partnership with Disney, but, but that's kind of the, the vision that I would see so that, you know, we have hundreds or even thousands of high rises out there and they have kind of an engaged audience that's interacting with each other, either kind of either in competition to discord or even complementary to discord, but it's this kind of community space that's, that looks and feels like a metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that sounds great. And what's your biggest sort of challenge currently? I would say our, our biggest challenge as always, and always has been, and always will be probably hiring the, you know, we have a pretty high bar when it comes to hiring, yes. you know, for me running a business, we're about 90 people now. Talent is always, I mean, it's the core of the business, right? We're a tech company at the end of the day, people are the ones who, who end up making the, the tech. And so hiring is always, I think the kind of the biggest challenge. And so, yeah, if anybody's looking or interested to work at a profitable, fast growing web three oriented gaming company slash social company, please reach out to me. I get people reaching out all the time through the because of the podcast if they're listening. So I'll definitely put, I'll share it, share the links around. Any particular roles you're looking for? Is it on the development side, Unity, anything particular? Like they need to know? Yeah, our... So we're actually rolling out our new game engine in Unity. So our existing game engine is in Coco Studio. But we'll be launching on web next month or the month after, and then likely eventually moving that over to, to mobile. So Unity developers, always very interested in general, mobile developers, interested server and backend developers, interested People who are, you know, really into blockchain or Web3 development also would love to talk to you, especially, you know, even if you're junior and, and kind of want to learn, I think this is an interesting opportunity to do. So we're always looking for kind of engineering talent across the board. Yeah. Yeah. The most that I do reach people who do reach out to, because I participate in Discord and it's the community managers and the, and the marketing well, the, people. So the other thing that, that I would love to talk to anyone about is launching their own high rise. So we can deploy a lot of resources to help you launch your own hire. That means, you know, creating your environments, creating assets that you might want to sell or just give away, you know, working with you to make sure that we have the right product features for you, all that stuff. We have a few partners in pilot, they're NFT communities, but we'd love to talk to any kind of communities that want to activate their audience through their own high rise. And the first implementation that we're doing for anyone who's interested is we're going to set up your own high rise, and then you can host AMAs there. And those AMAs will be spectatable. And so you'll yeah. just share a link. People will go to that link and they'll just be able to see the AMA. And if they want to join it, they just connect MetaMask and then their NFT will render in the room. And then you can just walk around and talk. And, you know, if you end up building a game, they can play a game. But the first implementation is, hey, where do you host your AMAs that are a little more interactive? Yeah. Uh, we need to do it in your high rise. Oh, that's fantastic. What I'll do is I'll put all these links underneath the show notes and wherever this goes in whichever platform it does go to lots of like 10 12 plus platforms so i will definitely do that and i'll put a link to your sort of linkedin and and other social platforms so it has been absolutely fantastic talking with you and learning more about bucket world and your perspective of the web3 gaming world and where the industry is moving so thank you so much Andrew, for your time likewise thanks sam Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. You know the drill. Leave a comment. Please subscribe or share it with a friend. Now, if you are building something really interesting in this space, then reach out to me. My DMs are open. I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform. Just go and search for my name. Reach out to me. I would love to help you. I would love to have a conversation with you if time permits. So... 
Having said that, I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building. I know that about 35 to 40% of my listeners are founders themselves. So I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation.